Hey guys, <laughs> welcome to the channel. Welcome to another episode of Mark and Mitch Make a Scientology Film. Yep. Welcome, Mitch. Thank you, Mark. Reunited and it feels so good. Yeah, yeah. you too, man. It's been, uh, yeah, yeah, it was great. I can't believe it's like over. I, I still think like Christmas is next week, but that's just because like <laughs> it, it sort of came and went and it was such an unevent. I'm like, uh, Nice. I but there you your, go. I love your new setup. I love the background and everything like that. It looks pretty awesome back there. Yeah. So for your viewers who may not be familiar with what I've been up to, uh, so I'm recording my audiobook and I had to do this little setup uh, for the audiobook. And uh, I needed, you know, first and foremost, you need a quiet place to do it. And uh, I'm trying to think. I might have something. Yeah, so that's what this is, and so I decided I, I had to move some of my gear in here. So I decided I'm going to stream from in here. Nice. So that's that's what it is. And uh, well, it looks cool, and it's yeah. Good I mean, too, literally, so. like this is the ceiling. This is the, I can the see felt. That, yeah. This is the felt that I put up there as sound deadening. And you know, I, I sent the files, some test files, off to our friend Jeff Levin, and he yeah. said these are great. They're perfect. This is going to work. So I'm slowly plugging away. Nice. Nice. I didn't have a quiet background. You had apparently a very quiet bedroom because I listened to your book and it sounds great. And you said you recorded <laughs> yes. it in your bedroom. So my bedroom is not quiet at all. <laughs> so so we're going to do – so for those of you who are new to the series or new to the channel, uh, Mitch and I both worked at the – production studios of, of Scientology called Golden Era Productions. And right. I worked there from 1990 to 2005. Right. And Mitch worked there from 1990 to... Um, yeah, infinity and beyond. <laughs> well, I was, I, I think, till like 2014, and then I was in L.A. until like 2017 working at S&P and... With okay, and SMP our, is Scientology our, Media Productions, yeah, and it's productions, uh, which is now the it's an it's part of the oligarchy of of, uh, of David Miscavige. That's where the seat of power today is yes. at Scientology Media Productions, and all of the uh, the the int level executives have been put onto very menial jobs, or they escaped, or they unfortunately passed away. And so, Gold today is it's it's a backwater production facility that makes some some eye candy for the TV network, but that's about it. They pretty much have no power, but I think they're probably happier, Mark, because Dave is not up there torturing them. Yeah. The word on the street is that he hasn't been there in many, many years. No, 2013. Okay, good. So he, yeah, I can, I can confirm that facility. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a, a, a brief discussion and exchange with him about it. He said to me, you know, I'm never coming back to this place because there's too many people here that effed me over, if you know what I mean. Like, like, yes, well, he, it's enough. You know what, Mark? I got to say, it's enough to make you think that Scientology is true. That when, when Hubbard said that you leave a place because you've committed harmful acts against it. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just applying like, his own yeah. technology to, uh, yeah. to uh, where he works, which is kind of wild. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so and in the course of my um, dealings at Golden Air Productions for many of those years, from pretty much 1993 forward, um, I was involved with the production of the films. And in 1995, I actually joined the shoot crew team that mm -hmm. was shooting these films as the 
in the C organization. L. Ron Hubbard called it the shoe crew chief. And it was sort of like an assistant director type of position. And yeah, I would, so say, I, would, I, I would say I would say assistant director slash production manager. Like it combined yeah. those two those two functions and it was a hot seat job. I just want to say this cause you probably won't, but it was a real hot seat job. Cause you basically anything that any ball that got dropped, it got dropped on you. So, uh, and you did a really good job. I just, you folks need to know that Mark was, they have was a, C, a, they have a saying in the C organ. If you're, if a job, if you have a certain job and your hat, that job, you have a hat with that goes right. with that job. And right. if your hat floats upwards, that means your boss has to do your job. And usually the boss of the film team was David Miscavige. So ultimate hat, boss. Yeah. If your fl hat floated upward, it would float. Yeah. Miscavige. yeah. And in the Sea Org, we had a term which is called hats float upwards. Shit goes downwards. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so yeah. you, you, uh, if you, if somebody else had to tell you what to do, then, uh, oh boy, there was that was the other worst thing in the it. world. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. No, that's, yeah. That's definitely right. Anyway, so, so the film that we're going to cover today is one of the TR films. And if you look in the description of this video, or if you're on, if you're listening to this on a podcast or wherever in the description, I have a whole list of all the films and there's 16 TR films and there's 10 EM films. And today we're going to cover a TR film. And that is a training film that is called the cycle of communication. And this film is a very, it's kind of all over the place, but it also has a lot of historical importance because the first time that this was shot, before Mitch or I ever sh showed up, um, this film was shot at the Golden Air Productions Golf Course. And I'm not exactly sure of the sequence of actions, if they found the golf course and then shot there and then they liked it. So then they bought it or did they buy it and then shoot the film there because they had a no, golf it, course at their disposal? It, well, my understanding is uh, is that the golf course was part of the property. It was part of the actual original resort. There were There were nine holes that were barely playable because they were in such bad shape. And then there was another nine south of the property. Then north of the property, there was another nine holes which had been destroyed, and they always intended to rebuild it. But they bought it one of, as I understand it, one of the only times Hubbard was at the Golden Era base was to shoot this film. They had a golf course, so he's like, "Okay, where what do I have? Where can I shoot?" So he said, "Well, I'll write to very cornball Scotsman." You know, because everybody knows that Scotsmen play golf because they invented golf. And I'll put them in kilts and those funny hats, and I'll hire a, a couple of guys that, you know, one at least was British, the other one was strictly American, and I'll teach them to have a Scottish accent. And they'll do this kind of, anyway. And so they shot, they they did the Scottish thing because they had a golf course. And okay. that was Hubbard's whole thing, so. And then, coincidentally... The name of this location, when they originally bought it, they bought it under the name of the Scottish Highlands Quietude Society. Yeah. And the significance yeah. of that is that they had a winter headquarters and they had a summer headquarters. And you, I think you brought this up. Yeah, the I did. winter headquarters did. is about 20 minutes. Oh, it, it, 60 miles away, 60 like miles. With, without one stoplight, that, that kind of 60 miles. 
So the but the but but SHQ, which Skylands or Scottish Highlands Quietude, also right, right. is summer headquarters SHQ. So, but yeah, um, they, they they love their codes. They love to oh, be coded yeah. about Scientology. Things. Scientology never passes up an abbreviation. <laughs> yeah, use. yeah. But but the other thing is that because it had this Scottish motif, the entire property has that same motif. Right. So every new building and every right. building on that property that got renovated got these bright blue tile roofs and right. white sides and stone veneer um, kind of finishes and walls. How, how, and, Mark, how was that? I never understood how that was Scottish. It's like Scotland either, full of what, whitewashed uh, buildings with blue tile roofs. I've never seen that. We should find should, a picture of somebody because somebody somewhere got a picture of Scotland and that's what it looked like. So that's what really? that place looks like. That's yeah, what I, I was guess, told. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> one other thing I want to mention about the, the two headquarters is one, the summer headquarters was in the desert. So, of course, you'd want to get out of the desert during the summer because it's so hot. So the yeah. winter headquarters was in the desert, So, <laughs> which I never figured that out because they were both in the desert. Like you, you'd, figure, you'd figure winter headquarters would be in the Caribbean and, you know, summer headquarters would be, you know, I mean, summer headquarters would be, you know what I mean. Yeah, but it, well, it was crazy. I think that I, was I, another I, thing just to confuse people because it didn't make any sense, really. So Oh, yeah. Just hey, like everything we, else in Scientology. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we got a note. We got a note from Mark uh, Fisher that Barry Stein. You remember Barry Stein? He, yeah. Uh, yeah. He was an architect. He yes, designed Barry. It, so well, yeah. He designed. That's true. He did design that whole property, um, and um, he was in what was called the the landlord office, the international. Yeah. Well, actually, office. I think back then they called it the architect's office, and then later they switched it. So the landlord yeah, where the architect was in the uh, yeah something like that yeah the landlord like that, yeah. office yeah very sort of land the landed gentry yeah and so because they had shot this film there was a blueprint for this film that existed that L Ron Hubbard this is another one of the films that L Ron Hubbard not only wrote the script and right. directed but right. he also had something to do with the the original production of it which we, yeah, we did yeah. completely. We didn't save. Did he no. have VOs? And he did. Did he do VOs? Or yeah, 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 yeah. For this yeah, one, yeah, yeah. He recorded voiceovers, so we used the voiceovers. Yeah. So we were shooting the pictures, and then they had an original L. Ron Hubbard voiceover that they would lay down. Yeah, the which film. they did with. I just remember that Mark. They did it with the sixteen mic mic setup. Remember that? Yeah. They had they had this setup just for Hubbard. It was like a. It looked like a a, a cat scratch, you know, because it was like a post with carpet on it, but it was as tall, yeah. like it was probably six foot tall, and it had sixteen mics attached to it. Each one of those mics cost thousands of dollars. Yeah, attached to a gooseneck. Yeah, <laughs> we, we called it the Medusa rig. Yeah, it looked it like just yeah. looked like a. Uh, it had all these goosenecks coming. Out of it. But he he microphones. had he had all these theories about you needed to record a voice coming out of different parts of the body. Maybe it was BTs. It was a BT. Those are BT mics. And yeah, maybe that's what body that was. enhanced yeah. uh, mic set yeah, were, but, for uh, aliens. Oh my God. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I know. You know, what's funny is I don't think we used it that much after. No, it just the sat cover. there in the studio. Like, no, I, I never, we never used it. Like I, I did hundreds and hundreds of hours of, 
uh, voiceover recording in that studio. And that thing was just in the booth, shoved off into a corner. They never used it again. And when you did those, did you record those in um, right next to the L. Ron Hubbard Music Studio in what was called? Yeah, lower, in the lower RAV. Yeah, or yeah. Ron's Audio Visual. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. We recorded, okay. you know, after they bought, after Chick Corea, the, you know, the jazz pianist, he sold his studio, Mad Hatter, which was a really famous studio. I mean, Paul McCartney, tons of the list of people that that recorded in there was insane. They he When he moved to Florida, he sold it to the church. They renovated it, and because it was called Mad Hatter, they made everything like, you know, Alice in Wonderland. Like, you know, the, the oh yeah, the they team. kept the name and everything. They yeah. they embraced the and, and they also to be fair, yeah. it wasn't that nice when by the no, time we it was it, it was crap. It was it was, it was very run down. Yeah, I, know, was, I used to when I was a little when I was in the in the eighties when I was a kid. I used to actually refill the vending machines at the Mad Hatter for a guy, <laughs> a Scientology guy that would fill all the vending machines yeah. around different Scientology companies. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, today, it was pretty run down. Yeah, today it's it, it's part of uh, Scientology Media Productions. But for a long time, it was part of gold, and then we would use it uh, for, you know, sometimes it, we needed something really quickly, and it was too inconvenient to get somebody to come up to gold. So I, I would go down there, and you know, which yeah. was, was welcome. And for those of you who uh, are wondering, Golden Air Productions is in the middle of the desert. It's it, yeah. it's in its own town that's called Gilman Hot Springs. In, right. In, um, I want to say it's uh, Riverside County. It is Riverside County. It's uh... yeah. And then the Scientology Media Productions and Mad Hatter and these other places that we we're talking about, they're in Hollywood. So right. um, to get actors to come all the way out to the desert to record a 10 minute voiceover is kind of ridiculous. And we did it on a regular basis. So when they got these facilities in Hollywood, it just made it easier um, to, to get uh, voiceover actors or just regular actors. Yeah. Plus yeah. you get a guy driving four hours, two hours there, two hours back where you could have him, you know, in the booth for that time. It's a whole different deal. Yeah. You're yeah, and they, for a full day, even though the, you're you might yeah, really get a yeah, they hated they hated that they hated paying people to drive. They're like, why don't we pay you to drive up here? You blah, blah, blah. yeah, it's just their their whole idea of you know they have a thing. I mean, I, we haven't even started talking about the film yet, but Hubbard wrote about this this thing called exchange. Remember? Yes, exchange conditions. Yeah, and some of it was very uh, common sense, uh, and like. Uh, you know, it's basically like a crim criminal exchange is you, you take something, you give nothing back, and then exchange in abundance at the very top is you give back more than you took. In other words, you really go that extra mile. They don't, their exchange is horrible. Like they don't want to, yeah, they don't want to pay actors to drive up there. They don't want to do it. You know, their exchange is just completely out. I got to switch headset real quick. Okay. No problem. <laughs> Sorry about oh, that. Yeah, that's a good point, Mitch. They they want when you when they give somebody a hundred dollars, they want a hundred and fifty dollar product delivered to them. But when they get a hundred and fifty dollar product from somebody, they want to give them a hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, I can hear now. Perfect. Oh, I guess we should talk about the film. Yeah, it's that's you know, that's part of this, we'll get there. Uh, what these videos do. Um, yeah, exactly. And now, in a lot of cases, the film 
there's there may not be a lot of other uh, what are called references or policies or bulletins on a certain subject that are covered in these films. And sometimes right. the film might be the only place where this L. Ron Hubbard, right. what he calls technology, exists. For this film, he had written extensively about communication and what he referred – Hubbard referred to as the cycle of communication. And the reason right. that this is a – the reason that this is a Scientology training film is that Hubbard believed that in order for someone to become a counselor, what they call an auditor in Scientology, is that you have to have a very firm grasp of this cycle of communication in Scientology because that's essentially how auditing the entire subject of auditing works. It's based on this, conver- this, uh, right. this cycle of communication and, and Hubbard – and this is an you'll see Hubbard had broken this thing down into my in, in increments of minutia that yeah. every Scientologist has to learn and they have to get it like drilled into their brain that this is how things work. And so this film is based off of um, a, a Hubbard communications bulletin that is uh, that explains what the cycle of communication is. Do you want to say anything more than that? Or should we? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the granularity with which he broke it down is completely insane. Um, It didn't make it easier to communicate. It would, it's like, if you imagine, I mean, I'm not a golfer, but I can get the concept that a golf swing has many parts to it. Right. So if you're sort of have somebody break down your golf swing and you're expected to sort of, follow those religiously and rigorously, you're probably never going to learn to swing a golf club. And yet the standard a person is held to in Scientology as a practitioner is perfection. I mean, that is actually in a film. So the, the standard is perfection. So um, I don't know. Do you think we should read part? I mean, it's, it's absolutely it, the, the level of granularity put it up here. There yeah. It put it up. Um, so this is this is a what's called a, a Scientology Hubbard bulletin in sci- in Scientology and anything in Scientology that is white background with red text that means it's a bulletin and it has to do with um, Scientology procedures or technology in how counseling or training of Scientologist works and so. Um, this one is about – there's a whole bunch of um, axioms that um, L. Ron Hubbard wrote about, <laughs> and this is axiom number 28 amended. And it says, I, I, I don't even remember any of the other ones. I mean he was I, insane about making things seem science Yes. He really like, wanted to kind of make this a legit thing, so he had yeah. all these – axioms and formulas and procedures and conditions and all these different things that if you did this, then it would lead to the next thing and so on and so forth. And it is a, a an extreme amount of mumbo jumbo. But the reason I think we should read this is because we had to essentially take a film and and make a, a 20, 30 minute film out of this, what you're going to read here. And the re- that's why I wanted to just read it because if you if you see what we're reading and then you think oh that's going to be the most amazing film ever <laughs> it's not the way it's going <laughs> yeah, no well um, I, i'll tell you what let me start okay okay i i've got it up here big on my screen so i can Perfect. read it so if you, you notice that the first paragraph is bolded yes so usually 
the you know Hubbard he prioritized the importance of of various different things. So he would always try to boil down the most important piece of data. And then he'd put that in bold. So if you're going to learn anything, you got to learn that. So this is axiom 28. Communication is the consideration and action of impelling an impulse or particle from source point across a distance to receipt point with the intention of bringing into being at the receipt point a duplication and understanding of that which emanated from the source point. Okay. That's a lot. So I said, we got out, we, when we first came on, Mark said, hi. And I said, hey, Mark, hi. Uh, that was that entire formula. <laughs> yes. And this is the other thing. Um, we're going to go, we're going to kind of d- talk about the different scenes that we shot that explain these different things. Yeah. But in Scientology, to break it down, th- and oh, that's another thing they have in, in Scientology is, so they have what's called a cycle. And a cycle right. is a start, a change, and a stop. Right. And anything that they do in Scientology, they refer to as a cycle. So, did you get the ro- did you finish the Rolling Stones cycle, or did you guys do yeah. the, the pre-production cycle, or exactly. anything that they talk about? They 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 refer to it as a cycle. And one of the things that they have in Scientology is the communication cycle, and that's this film is called the cycle. Of communication and so yeah, uh, yeah. When you read the rest of this; it'll, it'll, that will sort of. I think it kind of comes into play on. Oh, you want me to read more? Well, I can read the next. Yeah, you read the next one. We'll go back and forth. It says the formula of communication is cause, distance, effect, with intention, attention, and duplication with understanding. So, if you have those things, that is a cycle of communication. There is a start, a change, and a stop. There's a a cause, a distance, and an effect. And and in Scientology, if you say something to someone and they don't recognize that you said something and acknowledge that you said something, then they're sort of like stuck in this cycle of communication where they've originated something but you don't answer them. If you want to drive a Scientologist crazy, don't ever acknowledge anything that they say. Just yeah. start talking. Like if they say, hey, Bob, how's it going? You go, did you hear about what happened to Janice? You don't even have yeah. to say, uh, hey, Bob, I'm doing okay. Or, hey, Jim, I'm okay. You don't say any of that. You just start a new cycle of communication. And they will th- – they, yeah. they actually – can get kind of like robots in this. They will short circuit yeah. if you never yeah. if you yeah. never acknowledge their communications because yeah. they're it's ingrained in them that if somebody doesn't acknowledge your communication, then they have no idea what you've said. They and they and they may not have even have heard you at all. And um and it's a really uh when Scientologists talk and have conversations and they're dealing in the business world, they are thinking about all of this when they're it's it's always happening. They're like um a person that's been programmed to, to to talk or to act in a certain way. And whenever they're doing that, this becomes second nature to them. All of the all of this mumbo jumbo that that right. um, that L. R. L. Ron Hubbard's talking about here. Yeah, well, um, yeah, yeah. The other thing you could do is, you know, you could always pre- also prematurely acknowledge them, like in the halfway through their sentence, go, oh, "Good," before they're done, and they'll just they'll go a little nutty. But yeah, they will. And that's another thing is that they teach you all of the things that someone does when they uh, 
are do, having this cycle of communication where they have a thing called a half acknowledgement and a half acknowledgement is meant to encourage a person to keep talking because you're not fully acknowledging them. Uh-huh. If you fully acknowledge them, uh-huh. then they'd stop. <laughs> but if you just kind of go, uh-huh, uh-huh. oh yeah? yeah, really? If you kind of in, uh, incite them to keep talking. Yeah, right? so you're inviting them to continue on. But you hear a lot of this stuff really robotically, like, and you recognize, oh, they're giving me a half act because they want me to continue. It it becomes like this weird part of the whole, you know, cycle of communication is really bizarre. If there's one thing they do in Scientology is that they assign information and significances to tons of things that really shouldn't have any significance to <laughs> right. like they, they're just like who nobody cares this is right. silly we don't even need to talk about this but they make it like they analyze it down to the nth degree yeah and, and this also, film yeah. is yeah had to somehow we had to shoot all these different interactions and explain the th- that's that's another reason why i think the films were important to hubbard is that people were not able to digest his mumbo jumbo right and Unless they saw somebody doing the mumbo jumbo, right, right, and so that was the key. That was the reason we had to do these films, so you could see this is what he meant when he said this, and then that. Then you'd watch it, and you'd be like, "Oh, I right, get it. right." Do you remember, Mark, how the film ended? It ended with um, two Sea Org members. One of them, I think, was what's his name, Chris, uh, Chris, Chris uh, Olander. Yeah, Chris Olander. There were these two Sea Org members in like. Hardcore class A uniforms. We'll talk talking full space navy, you know, yes. uh Fake navy space, like yeah, like full regalia and yeah, and campaign ribbons and the yeah, whole yeah, form <laughs> and they're sort of faced off with one another and they're doing the full and so here it is, the cycle of communication in full. It's something like 24 steps. You know, there's first there's intention, attention. Then there's, you know, you impel the particle, then there's the receipt, and it just goes on and on and on. You're and just we like, had to do thought bubbles for them, too. Yeah. So that it was really just a graphic where these guys. Yeah, yeah it was like a living guy, graphic. Yeah, one guy would be like, oh, I got an idea. Yeah, exactly. And then that would be the whatever, yeah. the cause. And then he would be like, I think I'm going to tell this guy about the idea. And then they, they would have these lines that would draw to the next yeah. guy. Yeah. And then you'd see the distance because you have to have cause and then distance. And then right. the, at the other end, that's where the guy, when he gets right. the communication, that's the effect. Right. Oh, my God. And yeah. We, and then we, we – yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, was, I, I think I was going to say the exact same thing. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, yeah. And so – you know, there's a lot of basic concepts. Okay, for, different of these films, these 26 films, they appear on different courses. Some of the films, like we've talked about the one with uh, Jason Begay, with the space guy who, like, you know, turned out. the session. Yeah, it turned out that this guy had, you know, drugged and essayed his best friend's girlfriend and blah, 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 blah. So that film you only saw on what's called the Class 5 internship. So when you're studying to be what's called a class five auditor and, and, and either on the, it's an, the class five is an internship and on that internship, that's where you would see that. And then there are some films like the cycle of communication that you see from day one, from the first auditor training course you take. So this is a basic fundamental film and, and whatever is in this film permeates. Where where did I go? Uh, That was me. Sorry. I, um, (laughs) 
<laughs> That's okay. I noticed that the, the PDF was blowing out my... Um, oh, my, oh. Uh, it, it was br- lighting me so brightly, so I minimized it, and then it just disappeared. But uh, here we go. Okay. Well, uh, uh, that's okay. No problem. I've turned these things off, but for you, uh, there's... <laughs> oh, yeah. You've got your thing. You've got your... Uh, I can yeah, I upgraded too. my computer, but I figured out how to turn them off so they don't happen randomly. Nice. Because, you know, Apple, they, they they turn them on by, by default, whatever. So this film, it cannot be stressed enough that this is fundamental, foundational to Scientology, and it provides a lot of stuff that ends up as giving people the means to, uh, to what do you say, to judge each other, to be judgmental, because yes. a lot of this stuff ends up in judgmental. And one of the sort of basic pieces of information that's in this film is the concept of being interesting versus interested, right? Yes. And this becomes, I want to get your take on this, Mark. Um, this oh, becomes. I'm, I'm going to be able to tell <laughs> yeah, you a lot yeah. on this because I've been accused, of, I was accused of this my entire Sea Org yeah. Scientology career. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of uh, judgmental evaluation in this. Uh, so, but go ahead, but you, you know what I'm talking about, Mark. Yeah. Well, so in Scientology, if you're interested in something, that's a good thing. If you want to understand Scientology and you want to study Scientology, then you're interested in Scientology. If you're interesting, then that means you're in the the business of putting on a show or doing something so that people will be interested in you. Not yeah. In Scientology. So um, in Scientology, that you're it's really drummed into people to not be interesting, but to be mm. interested. Mm. In yeah, itself. it's like an insult. The guy is just nonstop trying to be interesting. He's just yeah. trying to be interesting. It's, it's, if you're it making makes, jokes or if you're making fun It makes things. people self-conscious. It's, it's horrible. It's like, I mean, sure, you know, there's times to be interesting and there's times to be interested, but it becomes such dogma. Yes. You know, I mean, the idea is if you're trying to help somebody, like they say an auditor is trying to help you, that person needs to be interested in you. Like if the person says to you, what's wrong? Like, let's say this is in life. Somebody says to you, what's wrong? And you say, well, I fell off my bicycle and my knee really hurts. And you say, oh, that happened to me once. I remember once I was driving down the street and you turn and then you become interest, I- interesting. That's not a good thing. So yeah. it's it's not that this is patently false. It's just it's applied with such dogma and in yeah. such a way that drives people to evaluate one another that it's just it's, it's horrible. Also, and they also apply anything that might be a certain way for the counseling. They just apply that to everything in general. Yeah, so just yeah. like you said. So yeah. if you were just ha- if you were just being interesting and you weren't a counselor, you were just messing around yeah. or something, then you know it at at a Scientology school. That's where, yeah, that's where yeah. I would get I yeah. would get lit up as a, at Scientology yeah, school. Yeah. They'd be like, "Hey, uh, Headley, you're supposed to be interested, not interesting." And you're like, "Yeah, what?" I'm like, uh, you know, I'm just doing my thing here, you know. Like, I yeah, I, I think we, I think we got that a lot, so we decided <laughs> let's go on YouTube where the, you know, <laughs> yes. oh yeah, that's here. Here we go. Here we yeah. are. <laughs> Everybody being who knows me from when I was young are like, yeah, checks out, checks out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you better be interesting if you're going to do this. 
Yeah, it's not. God damn it, this is better. not a thing you don't want to be interested. <laughs> yeah, uh, you want to be interesting. But um, let me read this last part here, please, of the thing, and then we can get rid of this. Um, yeah. The component parts of communication are consideration, intention, attention, cause, source point, distance, effect, receipt point, duplication, understanding, the velocity of the impulse or particle, nothingness or somethingness. A non-communication consists of barriers. Barriers consist of space, interpositions. Interpositions such as walls and screens of fast-moving particles and time. A communication by definition does not need to be two-way. When a communication is returned, the formula is repeated with the receipt point now becoming a source point and the former source point now becoming a receipt point. L. Ron Hubbard, founder, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm blah, so blah, glad blah, that blah. I know that. If I couldn't imagine how I could survive without knowing that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So we had to show in the film. I counted 15, by the way. I just counted 15 parts of the cycle of the communication. Yeah, and we had to show all variations. So we had to show those things with barriers or with walls or with we had to kind of it, right. that's where you get it's almost like a um it's almost like an endless equation it, depending on how many you want to show you have to show right. the good ways and then the bad ways but with all these other um arbitrary other factors f f uh, built into whatever it is and we had to show what happens like i think the guys the guy one of the golf things was basically the guy's going to hit the ball Right, And he says four and he hits the ball and the other guy doesn't get it. The other right. guy that's standing out there is like, duh, he didn't receive the communication. Right. So of course he gets hit with the ball. Right. And so then we had to show the guy saying four and then he, you show communication and then you say distance. And then the guy goes, yeah. uh, <laughs> and then it hits him. You know, I just realized one of the guys what? we used was the guy that was the um that went to hell in the um TR14 film the uh, yeah, Doug. TRs Doug we used that actor he was yeah. one of the golf guys and he had this his curly you know Doug hair yeah he was like a heartthrob everybody loved him girls loved him Doug was a really good looking guy and because they were um in scottish outfits they had like plaid like um jackets with uh, vests and then they what do you, what are those kilt they had a kilt well, I think they we had some kilts, but then we also just had the like the pants that were like uh, knee highs that were no, they wore kilts. They wore the kilts they with the knee socks. Kilts? They had like a Tamashaner oh, yeah. hat. Oh yeah, it was the knee socks. It was yeah, the no, knee they socks. definitely these guys were full blown. You know, <laughs> Scott, it was ridiculous, guys. It was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, they were not Mel Gibbs. They were not Braveheart kind of. Scottish guys, they were like, and I'm not sure we had like an accent coach on set to uh, no, make we sure didn't. Any of these accents we we were didn't. being pulled off at all. No accent coaches are allowed. <laughs> but so Doug was American, but we also had another guy. His name was John. We was it Wheatcroft or Wheat Wheatcraft Page? John Page. Yeah, I knew him as John Page, the other actor. John Page, the British actor, and he had a small part in uh, Titanic. And that was pretty much all you heard about 24-7 with John was... Yeah, it was that he did that Titanic. Yeah, well, that he I was, remember, had, a, had a walk-on speaking part in Titanic. I remember because we used him for voiceovers for other things. 
I think we might have even done a version. Um, I don't remember what it was, but we did radio ads or can we ever be friends spots or we did some kind of audio stuff with uh, John Page as well. And I think I'm I want to say that he's no longer involved in, in anything in Scientology. No, I don't think so. Um, he reached out to me, I think, on Facebook yeah, uh, to sort I, of I say, hey, you're not in Scientology anymore. That's great. Yes. So, yeah, that was – yeah. So, John, no, he's definitely not – I don't know where he is. Maybe he moved back to UK. I, I don't know, but he was uh, – yeah, we interesting had, guy. Yeah, he was a good guy. We also had um, Seth, one of the ga- uh, the mic, the guy who was the bo- sound boom operator. Yeah, he was like yeah. a caddy. Um, Chris yeah. Olander, we had him in there. It was it was a few. Nobody, was, no, no names. No, nobody, nobody, anybody's ever yeah, heard of. Like, it was a lot of vignettes, like just yeah. little. Uh, this is this and graphics. And so it was kind of just a hodgepodge of, all yeah, those yeah, yeah. I think the only consistent thing was the golf kind of, theme, yeah, that was theme. the only actual like sequence, like, yeah. the, you know, how to, uh, you know, the rest of it was just a bit, you know, a scene, a scene, a scene to just kind of, but a lot of the films were like that. Um, yeah. um, you know, like we haven't talked about it yet, but the one on the tone scale, that's, there's, there's only one sequence in that whole film, and that's the one where the guy lowers the cans into the well. Oh, and that's, that, that's like a sequence, right? It was almost like Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> it was freaky, and that and the guy that was down there, that was who you know, what was his name? That was uh, I see, was uh, when we, right? we, huh? Was it Ray Reeser? No, no. Was it a Sea Org member? I don't I remember. It might have been somebody related to you. I'm not sure. It was uh, Tom Pope. I think it was Tom Pope. Yeah, the first time we did it, because he was such a skinny little guy. Yeah, I think and, he was. and we needed somebody. Yeah, and so the idea—not to get off into it—but that this person yeah. has fallen down the tone scale. So that's mm-hmm. represented. They're at the bottom of this deep pit, and it's just coated with oil. And and I remember and now. You're right. Black really black widows of e meter leads, <laughs> and they had like a twenty foot cord on them. So it's they the most lower insane them. thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but anyway, that. I think Tom was in this film too. Actually, now that I think of it, I think he was one he of the golfing guys. Yeah, he very well could have been it. I don't really remember this film for some reason. I blocked it out, but um, this film was well. To be fair, besides the the golf course stuff, this film was almost completely done in VF and visual effects. But pretty much, yeah, a lot of visual effects, and uh, even some of the even the footage that we shot had to go through. Time yeah, it had a lot of that. graphics were added, words on screen. There was a scene. Remember the two baseball players. Dun, That's dun, right. Dun, dun, that dun, was dun. the other thing we had was the baseball players, and I think maybe that was what Seth. And some of the other people. I think it was some Darius Will here was he was one of the. That's right, Darius. Yeah. Oof. I don't know. We haven't seen. Also, to be fair, after we shot these things, we never watched them ever. So it wasn't <laughs> no. like. It well, wasn't I like had to sh- because I had to go supervise the mixing. But I mean, yeah. once it was sounding really weird. Uh, oh. Wow. Now we're okay. What did you do? Did you do something? I didn't do anything. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, you were sounding like um, like Darth Vader, who was like shorting out. It was the oh, shorting really? out. Oh. Yeah, how's it now? It was, it was really interesting. I have. Can to you say. hear me now? You know, perfect. These, I'm like, telling you, um, a computer BTS they come and go. I don't know why. I, I it is true. I yeah. literally haven't done any single thing. So, 
Um, yeah, it sounded like B2s. It did. Audio BTs, audio yeah. body thetans for all yeah. new, uh, new to the channel. Um, suppressives. Suppressives, I have – see, that's the problem is that in Scientology, they believe that all of their problems are from these aliens called body thetans. And mm-hmm. all of everything that we're doing, all the films and everything that we're talking about, the culmination of all of this technology is meant to help Scientologists get rid of these aliens that are basically just yeah. – uh, squatters. That's what they are. They're space cooties. And they, um, they're trying to get rid of them. And, um, and I believe that you should embrace those guys. And I might have some yeah. random bad audio body thetans that just yeah. every once in a while they just get, they act up. Yeah. That's what it is. Well, I think they might be uh, upset because you keep promising to give them a platform. Yes. So, well, BTs activate. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, um, so we should, we shot this film. So we did, we did the baseball sequence. We did a bunch of the, uh, golf course stuff. And then we just did a bunch of graphics and stuff like that. And, um, I'm trying to think well, of what we did else. the interested, interesting thing. We had like a, 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 we did it like a, like a 18th century British, like a, like a fair, like traveling remember that whole thing and we had the 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 we had the 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 auditor was being a clown and was juggling balls to oh, show yeah. to show that they shouldn't be interesting yes it, it was a little uh a little over the top somebody this is the best one quicksilver i just turned into film that teaches scientologists to act like robots only to hear mark in a robot voice yeah exactly exactly <laughs> I don't even yeah. know what that was. That's the weirdest thing because we didn't we didn't really do anything. So no, I thought it was my before. I thought it was my 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 earpods going. Oh, uh, that's true. The only thing that's happened but, uh, the last two times is when you switch your headphones. I think Streamyard just doesn't. It, no, I, I switched it because I heard that sound. Oh. That's why I switched it. So I I still think it's the BTS. Um, it says Mark's sound is. Oh, that's from earlier. Um, he did have a robot voiced. Okay, yeah. good. Well, there we go. Yeah. Oh, hey, Dr. Uh, Dr. X is here. Dr. X is uh, – I'm just going to show that real quick. Um, hey, hope everyone is well. Thank you, Dr. X. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else about this film film that's worthwhile uh, talking about. We did the um, Hubbard voiceovers. We I don't know, the- but, but while you're thinking about that, if you're watching this on Mark's channel, do think about uh- – Checking my channel out as well. Oh yeah, here we can do that. We can yeah. cover it. We can cover our. Uh, Thanks, Mark. We could do it. Here we go. It's uh, we got all kinds of things actually. You can um, go to Mitch's site, MitchBrisker.com. Yeah, you can and buy if a you mug. go to his site, you can get to the book. You yeah. can get which is you can get to his channel, uh, YouTube, and then if you want, you can just go to Amazon and get the book Scientology: The Big Lie. If you go down in the uh, description on my channel, I have all the links to all of the things I just showed you, yeah. and um, and you could get all those things if you have. Awesome. It. And if you and if you're on Mitch's site or if you're on Mitch's channel watching yeah. this, head on over to the Blunk for Good channel. And the other thing is that we are um, we have a pod. We do this as a podcast as well. Mm-hmm. So not every video we do ends up being a podcast, but pretty much everything. Uh, we do audio only um, here and there, and we've also do a lot of uh, 
turn a lot of these uh, the spy files and the, this series into podcasts. So you can get that wherever you get uh, podcasts. Most uh, people seem to watch on uh, Google or Apple, but uh, right. just search for Blown for Good and you can pick up our podcast. They mostly it's on uh, Apple, right? Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts yeah. is pretty much the biggest platform. Yeah, because that's where I always got all of my... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's where I, I listen to my podcasts as yeah. well. Um, should we do some questions? Yeah, let's do it. If uh, if uh, anybody's got questions, go ahead and go in the chat, and uh, we'll take care of those. We've got about uh, fifteen yeah, this, more minutes, so this I think is your we can hit this some is your chance to be interesting, folks. Yeah, this so, is your chance. To be, so go for it to be interesting. Miss <laughs> yeah. um, Amber Sunshine, love the intro. Oh well, thank you. Okay, that's nice. Was it the countdown or was it the intro? Because I got a new countdown. Yeah, hey, the countdown, <laughs> the music. Whoa, Jeff did that. That's did the he outtakes. Do that? That's just like the blown for good music just like the instrumental oh, yeah. version that just yeah. uh rocks out or uh yeah just that's a, a, I'm, I'm gonna have to let him know how awesome it is <laughs> it was i've had it and i thought how could i use this and i thought oh i'll stick it in the uh i'll yeah, stick good, it in the countdown good good, good choice mark because i was instantly taken by it yeah i was like whoa <laughs> hello from bellingham washington or i love bellingham is that is that uh, you know where that is? Yeah, I've been to Bellingham. I actually worked there while I was in college. I was a PA on a motion picture that was shot partly in Bellingham, which is just not far from Seattle. It's kind of a wow. neighborhood. Hello uh, from Ottawa, Canada, Barbara Bell. Thank you for that, Barbara. Um, our Scientology stories peeling the onion. This is probably uh, Mark uh -oh. Fisher. He says, was that space set up by Luigi? Luigi, everybody at the international headquarters had aliases. Well, most of the people, when they first went there, everyone had aliases. So there was yeah. a guy named Gary Liu, who was a- Asian. Uh, he was the Chinese-American. Yes. Liu, and, Chinese and he American. was, um, his Luigi. alias was Luigi. <laughs> I don't know why he had that, but yeah. that was his, um, his uh, alias. And he was the one who probably set up that 12 or the 16. Was it called the 12 mic or the 16 mic? I think it was the 12 mic. Yeah, I think it was the 12. But tw yeah, 16 is a little much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah 12 mics is below. not too was, much. <laughs> 16, yeah. 12 is okay. With 16, you got to go below the waist and that, that can get really funky. Yes. Jefferson Hawkins, the guys at gold, Jefferson Hawkins. Hey there, Jeff. Jeff also used to work at the international headquarters. Right. All the people in the chat used to be <laughs> yeah. at the base. Everybody that's, like, it's, it's, that's like, watching is like, yeah, I remember going over there. <laughs> yeah, This is like muster. <laughs> yeah. Jefferson Hawkins, the guys at gold must be very relieved that Dave, Dave is no longer there. He was the one who made the place a living hell. And whenever he left, everybody breathed a sigh of relief. That is 100% yeah. accurate. <laughs> Yeah, no. When Dave it's, it's, went off for an event or he disappeared on a, a legal case in the Clearwater, yeah. it was like, ah, now we yeah. can do all the things that we were doing. We don't have to be because when you're doing, when you're making something and you're trying to build something, you're trying to manufacture something, when Dave's there, you could be doing something that has nothing to do with your job for six months before yeah. you're able to go back and go back to work on something. Yeah, so I, I saw that happen. Yeah. Like they turned, this is another thing. We spent years not being able to shoot at that property because we didn't have a studio. So right. they spent tens of millions of dollars, at least. I, I want to think, I think the final cost was like 30 million. At, on the studio? On the Sydney Castle. Whoa, I had no idea it was that much. I thought it was like around 10 million, but I didn't. There was a There was a lot of embezzlement and a lot of things that went sideways while they were building that. Yeah. 
like there was a few companies that really, really wow. uh, got some over on this. Well, you know what things. they say? It's it's a lot easier to rip off a thief than it is an honest person. Yeah. And I think uh, that happened. And also all the equipment and all the things that we had to right. buy over and over again because we did we bought cheap stuff at first and then we had to buy real stuff. And then we bought Yeah, but at least we used real it all, stuff. Mark. At least we used it all. <laughs> Unlike Scientology Media Productions where they spent millions and millions and millions of dollars on cameras to to do you know freedom tv and stuff that are just Never sitting used there it. yeah it's just sitting there i mean we did use everything yeah I that's could, true but we bought we bought hundreds and hundreds of lights from hollywood like from an auction like an equipment mm-hmm. auction of lights that were um some of almost I, I would be willing to go on the record and say that every single light that we had bought in the early 2000s or the late 1990s were older than me at the time. Oh, yeah, when for we sure. They were them. these old Mole Richardson units. Like we were buying lights that were made oh, yeah. in the 50s. Uh, or some of them were made in the 40s. No, this is really old stuff. <laughs> we were sandblasting the them and rebuilding this. them and repainting them. <laughs> and, and, you know, they actually make really good lights. They're, they're older technology if you want to, you know, like if you're into LPs. Yeah, would be into these lights, right? But the thing is, is Mole Richardson, who was you know probably the world's most famous uh, motion picture lighting company, they have a they have a museum in Hollywood called Mole Town. They eventually, the guy who owned that, who was you know a grandson or something, he became known at Gold. He came up there, did some stuff. He actually ended up buying some of those lights back for his museum. Yeah. Well, I, I literally, if you, there's a, there's a channel, there's channels on YouTube where they take something really old and they, they literally, they sandblast it down to the metal and they repaint right. it and they make it complete, re, completely restore it. We did that with thousands yeah. of lights. They did that at SMP as well with all of the lights left in the studio. They oh restored God. every single one. It, it, it was Seorg members sitting around day yeah. after day, well, hours, sandblasting, painting, wiring. That's what you do when you have cheap labor, right? Yeah, it, we. Yeah, you're right. We spent, we spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours, just refurbishing lights. Yeah. Anyway, yes, it was ridiculous. And then Dave um, would bring people in there, point at the lights, and brag. You know, this yeah. is this is the best stuff you can get. You know, we had to you know, get the old stuff because you remember they used to do that. Okay, here's a classic one: the Sikon, not Sikonic, the uh, the the SEI light meter. Oh yeah. Uh, this is crazy. This is there's this light meter that Hubbard used to use that is essentially I think it was invented n- no later than the 50s, maybe the 40s or even the 30s. It's it's what's called a spot meter. In other words, it reads a very tiny spot of of you you put up a guy holds a a chalk, a block made out of chalk because that's 100% white reflective and then you read with a very tiny dot uh, you read the light reflecting off of that thing. There's two ways to measure light. One is the light reflecting off of it, and the other is the light falling on it. There, there, one's an incident reading, one's a spot reading or reflective yeah. reading. So Hubbard, back to his still days, he used this thing, and you looked at it, and you twisted it, and you lined up these things, and it was this insane, bizarre ritual that took many minutes. When that company went out of business, Gold bought the company. They bought all of the parts. They bought Everything. all their stock. They bought so yeah. that they would have these things for the rest of time. And right. and the guy that's in charge of all of L. Ron Hubbard's film equipment, he's right. called the F and E I C, right. the Films and Equipment in Charge. And right. that guy's name was Jeff 
Baker. Jeff Baker. Yeah, and that's and, part of that. That unit is part of the CMO. Yes. So that's a very highly Dude. ranked. That's, it's in it's in L. Ron Hubbard's organization called the Commodore's Messenger yeah, Organization yeah. for Golden Era Production. So there's a specific Commodore's Messenger yeah. organization that's just, just for assigned gold. for Golden Era Productions, well, and they have Ron's uh, films and all his equipment. So all his cameras, all his um, uh, anything that had to do with film, all his anything photography that guy was in charge of yeah and that he other had the guy, hubbard hubbard i just want to say he had the ultimate rich man's camera collection oh yeah every and uh, down to having like a fold-up camera from when he was in the boy scout the cub scouts or you know all this kind of stuff yeah well supposedly yeah exactly yeah. he kept he carted that around all with him everywhere and it made it up at his house yeah. that they someday i'm going to be a cult leader and they're going <laughs> to worship everything i ever but then the other guy that other guy we were talking about earlier, Luigi, yeah. he was Ron's audiovisual. So he had all Ron, Ron, L. Ron Hubbard's tapes, uh, tape recorders and microphones and all of his audiovisual equipment. That guy was in charge of keeping track of and restoring and keeping them all perfectly uh, intact and maintained. Right. And, um, and so these guys, um, they were – like they were the senior uh, technicians at Golden Era that would oversee what we did. So if there was a bad audio recording, then Ron's audio visual would come down and be like, oh, what'd you guys do with the Nagra tape recorder or whatever? But this this guy that was the film's equipment in charge, he had the same light meter that the guy, the assistant cameraman for lighting on the on the Golden Era right. shoot crew, right. they both had these things, but they were the only two people that had them. So right. sometimes if there was a thing that was misexposed or there was a thing on the lighting, then this guy, Jeff Baker, would bring his meter down and they'd have like a little shootout to make yeah. sure that they, they theirs were matched yeah. or calibrated to yeah, each other. And it was, the world would stop. <laughs> It was the yeah. most bizarre thing because you have – they have, you know, whatever, Spectra or whatever the company is that makes these light meters. They have these fancy-dancy digital ones that you can buy. And if they're like 50 bucks, you hold them up and you go – and it says, yeah, this is the this is the setting. This is how bright the light is or whatever. And then that's it. But these guys, this thing, it was yeah. like a comp compass and a sectant and a – and a and a uh, like a port – like a submarine. Yeah, it, it was like a three-dimensional. Periscope. What is that thing called? A uh, slide rule. It yeah. was like a, a tubular slide rule yes. with a little eye cup that you could look into. It was the most insane thing. I'll tell you a really interesting anecdote about this. Before I ever worked for Gold, I did a music video for uh, Edgar Winter for the Mission Earth album, and I did it for Author Services. Which video? Which which song was it? Cry out! It was this. It was You've a, directed "Cry Out." Yeah, this, the music video. It's on. Oh, YouTube. we gotta put we gotta put a link to that in the yeah, description. Yeah, you can do that. It has some nice shots in it. But anyway, yeah, it was um, after Jeff Hawkins and the marketing unit got ripped up to gold because we were too successful selling Dianetics books, and Miss Gavage couldn't stand it. So I was, you know, in L.A. I wasn't working for the church anymore because they were all gone. Right? They'd been ripped up to gold. Yeah. And I hadn't been seduced into coming up there yet to do films. So I was just doing my thing, directing TV commercials. And then Norman Starkey, who was the trustee of, of, of uh, Ron, uh, Hubbard's estate, yeah, gave me a call one day. Or actually, it was 
one of the it was Susie Watson Taylor. Remember her? She was a PR person. Yes. At ASI. Uh, yes. They called Susie me up Watson and they said Taylor. we want to do a music video with this Edgar Winter song because we want to partner up with environmental groups and this is a this is a pro environmental anthem, right? Yes. It's ridiculous. They it, it, you know they wanted it to become the anthem for Earth Day. So I hired a guy by the name of Tom Del Ruth, who coincidentally had shot the Look Who's Talking films, right? So he knew John and Kirsty. He also shot Stand By Me. He was a very substantial, well-known cinematographer, and he had won Emmys for his cinematography for TV shows. He had shot pilots for really famous shows like uh, Hill Street Blues and some others, right? Yeah. Uh, Columbo, he did like uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. He was known in Hollywood as having shot – he was known for consistent exposures. Like he was the guy uh, without getting into a lot of technical stuff. So I hired him to shoot this thing and Norman Starkey would come to the set, right? Now, Norman Starkey had once been on Ron's crew with David yes. Miscavige. He was the production manager, the producer, something he knew all about. I think filmmaking. he was the producer. Yeah. And so he was used to this, people staring at a light meter like he, they were freaking reading Gone with the Wind yes. peering through this thing endlessly you know and then making an adjustment and then looking at it again and make it and this ritual that would go on for minutes okay so Tom Del Ruth who was the Emmy award winning cinematographer who shot all these great films this is Tom using a light meter okay that's it done Right? Yeah, they're just double checking. They they yeah. know what the oh, light yeah. no, looks like. Sometimes he would pick up a thing <laughs> called a contrast glass. You know, that yeah. he'd look up at the sky and he'd tell the the camera operator open up a quarter of a stop, whatever. Yeah. Like, so Norman Starkey freaked out so bad, he came to me and he said, "This guy doesn't know what he's doing. Have you seen how he does? <laughs> takes light reads. Oh my god. So yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I don't know what to do. So he said, I'm really worried. Like he wanted to shut the whole thing down and fire the guy. So I called a, a lab, a telecine place, yeah. and I said, you need to be open tonight because I need to come in there. I'm bringing some negative in. You need to put it up on the telecine, you know, where you convert it from film to video. Yes. I need you to transfer this stuff so we can look at it. So we go in there. It's 10 o'clock at night. We go in there. Usually when you do a telecine session like that, the operator, he rides the exposure because the scenes are different. This one's a little brighter. This one. So he sits there with the controls, and as the film goes through, he adjusts it. He times it. He times it, yeah. He set the timing at the beginning, never touched it. Yeah. Never touched it. We came in. I came in with, Mar with Norman, and he said, who shot this stuff? And I said, Tom Del Ruth. And he went, oh, you know, this is the most consistent consistently exposed negative I have ever seen. That's, That's normal. Awesome. Was kind of like, <laughs> so anyway, so I had to tell Tom, look, when my client is around, can you just, you know, just take a just beat. Pretend, yeah. Just pregnant pretend. pause on that meter for yeah, a little bit there. <laughs> but it was, um, it was crazy. I mean, that should oh, have been my a, goodness. That should have been a red flag when I got called by gold. Yeah. That, that things were going to be a little rocky, but yeah. Well, you got to know all about that light meter over time. Oh yeah, the SEO. But you know, eventually they really the guys that I worked with, yeah, slowly over time they started using it less, less and less. They wouldn't really use it unless somebody came in there and was like, "How come you're not using?" You know, yeah, because they learned to do it the way the people in Hollywood did it. So yeah, and also like, that we're not shooting on film anymore either. So there's just no, like, but yeah, come exactly. On. But still. 
don't I give know. me st- started yeah, on that. that. I know, I know. <laughs> you still need to learn how to use a light meter. And yes, still, yes, you, you yes. You can't just look at a histogram. And Okay, Mark Fisher says – Because us old folks. Yes, I know. These old folks <laughs> very particular about yeah. uh, making sure all the uh, analog stuff is still uh, – Yeah, hey, Steven Spielberg's never shot digital. Everything he shot is – There you go. Quentin Tarantino and uh, the Christopher Nolan. Yep. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Mark Fisher says shot on golf course first and then they oh, decided to buy it. I thought yes. it was I was apt. Thank you, Mark. Yes, I, I knew apt- that yeah, I knew I had that no there idea. were two Well, there's been multiple versions of how all that happened, but like for, if you talk to the old timers that were there back then, that's the story I heard from them. Up oh, here's yeah. another one. We have all oh, it's like in base must you're right, it is. Gary Jackson Moorhead's in there. He <laughs> yeah. says, Hey, I built that place, yeah. the twelve mic. Yes. You were right, so it Mark. was called the twelve mic. And you did a hell of a job because uh, uh Jackson, I'll tell you, that thing was like a tank. Literally, yes. that thing is would have survived. <laughs> well, it had a floating if I remember correctly, the entire thing was actually floating. The floor, yeah, the, the yeah, it was on a grid like a metal grid, so it was a it was an air pocket underneath it. Yeah, so sound. there was nothing – wherever you stood in the studio, you were not connected to the building. So there was no, no rumble that would transfer through the isolated. building, through the structure, yeah. and then into the microphone. It's – I'm telling you guys, the amount of insanity that's going on at the Golden Air Productions yeah. and yeah. these things, it they're, they're – the, they, we at some point we, we're going to do just a flyover video and we're just going to explain what's in this building and just go through it room by room. Yeah, I wish we could get a drone really close enough to see well, we, stuff. Some of the drone footage, the 4K drone footage that's been shot is is perfect. Oh. I'll, I'll send I, you a link. It's amazing. Yeah, we could I, I, use I've it all day I've seen some long. stuff on, on YouTube, but it's, it yeah. seemed to be kind of a little up. Oh, like, well. Like it didn't really. I'll show you some we might be able yeah, okay. to use. Yeah, we should do it. We should actually do it. Angel Hugger says, question, aside from hypnotism and writing copiously like due to temporal lobe epilepsy, <laughs> was uh, was Hubbard objectively skilled and knowledgeable? What was Hubbard objectively skilled in and knowledgeable about? Well, Oh, chin to, music. I was going to say. Chin music. He could crank. He turned the crank and just shit came out of his mouth. He was really yeah, skilled well, at that. There was somebody sent me um, a diagnosis from the DSM, which is when someone just has to um, is uh, compulsively writing and out and just talking and and this and there's an actual disorder and I think Hubbard genuinely did have that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he churned out the writings and the recording. Unbelievable. I mean, he he recorded thousands and thousands of hours of lectures and he wrote billions of bullshit and just typed and yeah. dictated and you name it. Yeah. He put, he used to put, at least I heard he used to actually put a roll of paper, a big, big roll of paper in the typewriter because he typed too much and too fast to, you know, be changing. She couldn't bother with sheets of paper, right? Yeah. He just typed in a roll. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> um, Mark, again, they used softballs instead of golf balls so that they would show up on film. <laughs> Oh, you mean well, in the long shots? Yeah, yeah. In the original one. We didn't do that. Yeah. We, 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 I think we just used computer generated imagery. I was just going to say, we used yeah. visual effects. We didn't care yeah. what the ball looked like. Yeah, Jeffrey we had, Levin. We, we had them computers. What was the public reaction to the film? I seem to remember it was extreme thumbs down. <laughs> Which film is he talking about? I don't know. I never got a public reaction because I never saw the film with the public. I think the one that we did. I I mean there, you know, 
Well, sometimes we did actually show the films at events when they were fi- first yeah, filmed. Yeah, and, and there was, I don't know if you remember this, but Ms. Yeah. Gavage had a film festival once in L.A. He he rented some of the screening rooms at the uh, the Egyptian, it's now called the Cinematheque. Yeah. And he invited in Hollywood. All, yeah, he invited in Hollywood, right in Hollywood Boulevard, he invited all hundreds of staff, uh, Sea Org staff, yeah. to come. And then they called me up and said, well, you have to be there. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be there. Oh, my God. But yeah, so I had to sit there for hours and, and watch all these films with all the staff in the pack base. So, But, you know, who's going to give a thumbs down? A thumbs down means yeah. you're off to ethics, man. You're yeah, like, these are. That's, that's a sick chick and a half. Yeah, these are Hubbard's. Um, writings turned into films. So if you were in Scientology, you have to like hip, hip, hooray and chip, chip, cheerio, all that. You got to, you know, standing O. Yeah, Uh, you know, Miscavige once told me in in a one-on-one conversation, he said he was talking about a specific person. It was one of the mission holders when he busted up the mission system. And he accused this, told me, yeah, this one guy, you know who it is. I just don't really want to say his name. Yeah. His daughter co-starred in the doll film. Okay. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, Her dad, right. That this guy supposedly embezzled a million dollars, which is probably BS, from the mission system. And he said, you know what it started with? You know how I knew this guy was a problem and we need to chase it down? Because he he said bad things about a tech technical training film like <laughs> that's where it starts right that so, was the that was the that was the oh, telltale yeah. sign that this guy was bad news yeah. is he was like yeah. these shitty films are shitty <laughs> oh yeah you take that guy and you peel him open and yeah. you're gonna find the worst stuff so i don't think there was any thumbs down but yeah so chris s says question when you made these movies how would they be shown or were groups brought into theaters to watch or were people expected to watch them on their own time so these films were shown in what's called a Scientology Academy. So at any Scientology organization around the world, they would um, they would train up to a specific level in Scientology. And depending on what these films, what levels that you were being trained on, um, these films were uh, were needed to be watched on, they would have that many films. So like if you were just a regular Scientology organization, probably 90% of these films you would be able to see. And then some of these films would only be shown at an advanced organization or maybe at the the big complex that they have in Clearwater right. called but, the but, uh, Flag but essentially, Service. Essentially, the 26 films that we've been talking about yeah. They were only available to students on what were called academy courses, which are auditor training courses. And Hubbard, in his infinite uh, conceit, said that these films are so good, even the ones that he made, that, that, that in and of themselves, they would drive people to take courses. People would be like, yeah. I want to take a course because I want to see the film about those guys golfing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... At, that never happened. But uh, we also that, did trailers. We shot yeah, trailers oh for God. these films too, which is we yeah. should have. We might have to do like a special trailer edition that just covers yeah. all well, the. My trailers. favorite one was the the shootout at the HI where we actually got a permit. Yeah, to have a shootout on Hollywood Boulevard uh, with cops AK-47. and robbers. Like this guy was letting loose. He let in a whole clip of an AK forty seven yes. full of Chinese blanks. And the reason I say Chinese blanks is that the the blanks for weapons are 
they're rated at different strengths depending on how much yeah. powder they have and how many grams of powder. And the Chinese apparently the, the the weapons guy said, "Yeah, I bought these. These are Chinese blanks. Like this was like because they this is used hot, the most hot commodity, yeah, really most powerful ones, right? Yeah, they they're not afraid of using that gunpowder over there. Yeah, because when they train for yeah, they invented it. Right? When they train in the military, they they really want reality. And and I'm telling you, boy, if you've never fired an AK-47, it's really dramatic. It's like the noise will deafen you. Oh, if it you was stand great. on the wrong side, I think the shells come out the left side. If you stand on the left side and you get hit by shells, they're red hot. You'll get burned. Do you remember what happened? We have to do this in another video. <laughs> yeah. about it. But do you remember that we only were supposed to do it for a certain amount of time? Yeah. Yeah. And and not dark. after midnight. Yeah. And we were shooting until like... 4 a.m. or 5 yeah, a.m. or something. Like it was like pretty crazy. Yeah, anyway, yeah. we were we had basically an all night shootout on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, but could you um, imagine today with the whole terrorist scene and all uh, that? We like, would ne well, that we now it's all that. you all put all of that into VFX, which just even with the nonsense that happens with uh, fake weapons and blanks and all that, they do everything in VFX now for yeah, the most part. Yeah, exactly. Like all the muzzle fires and all that. Yeah, uh, they do that all. But yeah, I, I and that was Alan Barton who I spoke to recently alan barton was the guy who he uh, i think he was a detective or something he was the one yelling to the guy yeah like, the, hey, the hostage negotiator yeah he was the negotiator yeah. you know we have to um yeah we have to do a video just about the trailers because there is another and crazy story that happened at that specific shoot with one of the crew. Oh, that, that's right. That ended up disappearing right. for the, forever right. into nowhere. Right. And it was on that shoot that he right. he, he, he I, manipulated I, that whole circumstance to GTFO right out of the seawork. Okay, let's get the rest of these questions. Mary Sue Hubbard, a.k.a. CO Bill, question, Mark and Mitch, in your audio expertise, especially me with the robot voice, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, are mean, the I'm final... Deaf, so. Ron's journals real or fake Ron? Oh, those were 100%. Oh, you can't um, make that shit up. I just yeah, that's 100% L. Ron Hubbard. But I will tell you that um, we did, there was, even back when I was there, they were using audio, um, like morphing or yeah. audio manipulation to yeah. make a guy um, that sounded, we recorded with a guy who who essentially sounded exactly like L. Ron Hubbard. Like yeah. he could talk and read whatever we wanted and no one would know that it wasn't L. Ron Hubbard. We yeah. had that guy when I worked at Golden Era Productions in the, I think I want to say in the, either the late nineties or the early two thousands, yeah. they had, they'd cast all these different guys and they all went through the ringer to see if they could send. And some of them were like, Oh, let's tweak it. The final guy that we had, he could re he could record yeah, he, whatever he really Dave Miscavige wanted him, and no one would ever know. I'm trying to think of the guy. He passed away, but he's there's a guy who was the most famous voice coach in Hollywood. He was famous for doing a Mark Twain impersonation. He used to do a one man show as Mark Twain. Yes, he's unbelievably famous, talented guy. I'm sorry, I can't think of his name. He was hired to sort of be the ultimate, then the final voice coach with this guy. But I got to tell you, Miscavige was really hypersensitive about ever. Having yes. anybody think that that he had authorized the the 
the counterfeiting of Hubbard's voice because then the whole house of cards comes down. Yes. Because then everything loses credibility. He's super sensitive to forfeiting anything because there's too many people that know what L. Ron Hubbard recorded and what he didn't record. So if there was some new recording that was unearthed, it would be like that didn't happen because they've unearthed every single possible recording decades ago. And he used to say – because um, I heard him say many, many times that when he would release things and change things, that he was really sensitive to people thinking that he was being source, right? Yeah. Being in pla- replacing L. Ron Hubbard. But then I realized, Mark, it wasn't that he didn't want to be source. He just didn't want anybody to think he was. That's he right. He wanted L. Ron Hubbard to, to be thought of as source, but then he wanted to actually really be the source of it. So, Well, he's been manipulating stuff that Hubbard's written for oh. decades. Like he's canceled tons of things that Hubbard said, don't ever cancel this. He canceled yeah, those things. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now, there, I, if, we have this one from Code Monkey. That you, yes. Yeah, um, just, Code I, Monkey. I, go ahead. You want to read it? No. Yeah, I'll read it. Because Code Monkey, uh, thank you for the super chat. Question, did LRH or DM ever push Scientology films shown at film festivals such as Sundance if Scientology ever held their own festival? I would go just for the entertainment value. These are these – are, well, these aren't movies. They're films. But I can tell you there, – there's one funny anecdote I can tell you about yeah. this. There was there there was this film. We did this film, Mark. Um, yeah. The POL, The Problem of Life. Yes, I was in that, that? film. Yeah, you were actually with yeah, with, were, uh, with Mark Toddy and Katie Mitchell. And Katie Mitchell, yeah. Which scene were you in? Do you remember? Yeah, I was the jaywalker. I was the one who walked oh, into traffic right, and almost right, got right, run right, over. And I'm right, like, "Whoa, right, dude, right. what's up, man?" Right, 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 <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, so P.O.L. Interesting film. Um, so one day, Miscavige walked into my office and he 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 somebody walked in and dropped two binders. Of stuff, and it was a script which was only like this thick, and the rest of it were just Hubbard's notes. They tried to shoot the film and tried to edit it, and it was just reject, 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 reject. And so I'm reading through all this stuff, and I come across a note from the editor to Hubbard. And in this note, this editor, she's gushing about how amazing this film is. Yeah. They've been editing this film for a year. It's unintelligible. It's the worst piece of crap you've ever seen. And she says, like, sir, we're going to submit to the Cannes Film Festival, and it's going to take top honors. And just went on and on gushing about this. So, so it's like they thought this stuff was actually really of that level. An hour later, Miscavige came in my office, and he picked up those two binders, and his neck was like this. You know, he was so mad, and he grabbed the binders and flopped down the actuals, just the script. And yeah. He said, "I want you to just read this and tell me what you would do with it." But <laughs> so he said, "Send Mitch P.O.L." And so they said, they just gave you everything, everything, years of rejects and horrible <laughs> notes and just crazy. That's stuff another like film we video we should do. It's not yeah. part of this. Maybe it could be one of them when we do yeah. the trailers. And well, it's a public film. But we have to cover that one, and we also have to cover. The what is Scientology film? Yeah, well, but that never got finished. I know, but it was. But they spent millions and millions, yeah, and millions well, of yeah, dollars the story shooting of this that, film. You, gotta, you have to talk about the Freedom film. Yeah, but I'm telling you, we there's so yeah. many films. But but to, along the point of the question, what were they proud of these things? They really had a sense 
that these films were revo- like these films were just revolutionary. Yeah, like they, they're gonna when people watch these films, their minds are just gonna just explode yeah. with like, oh my god, Scientology is the best thing yeah, ever. Finally, somebody figured it out. Yeah, so. but at the same time, when there was a film that we shot called Orientation. That was is supposed to be the film, the very first film that you watch when you mm-hmm. get into Scientology. It's you're supposed to watch that film for before doing anything else. You have to watch that film. You do. They still do it, and you have to yeah. sign a waiver. Everybody's heard about these waivers, like giving up your rights to sue and all that. The first waiver was the orientation waiver, and then that didn't yeah. work. So then they yeah. kept adding more waivers. So the, basically, yeah. the the whole point of orientation was that. You know, it it was as Hubbard put it to forestall litigation. Meaning, yeah, once you you, you saw- knew once you've watched this film, you know what Scientology is. So you can't say, "Oh, they bamboozled me. They took my money. They destroyed yeah, my family." They, because we told you that was going to happen when this yeah, movie yeah, there was going to yeah. be consequences. <laughs> anyway, but this movie was only way it could be shown in Scientology organizations was on thirty five millimeter film or sixteen millimeter film, right. and I was over. Um, the, I was the producer, I was over film production or something at the, right. t- by the time this happened and I, stupid as I am, suggested all of these films should be computerized and they should just be played out of a computer system. The, right. sh- this film using film to play back in the organizations is ridiculously expensive and it is the worst quality you can have. And since I was responsible for the quality, it was like, we have to do this a better way. I had to write on a board, I think it was 10,000 times I had to write, I will stop being a child. I will grow up and stop being a child because I had suggested that we make digital files of these films right. and to be able to play them back this way. And the reason that David Miscavige told me that he would never put these on a computer, any of these films, is because then they would be hacked somebody somehow would get these films. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that no one, I've not seen these films that we've been covered. I've never seen them leaked anywhere. No. But I have seen that orientation film, the yeah. one that I suggested yeah. that we put on a, a computer, on a DVD yeah. actually was yeah. what I ended up saying. We should make a DVD of it. And um, he didn't even want it as a DVD. That's how much right. he was worried about it being hacked. But that's on YouTube. We could we could link to that somewhere too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first that first one with Larry uh, Larry Larry Anderson. Oh, here's Jeff Jackson again. Gary Jackson Moorhead said it was twelve mics. I helped build that entire building, floating slabs, a building within a building. Anywho, yeah. yes, thank you, yeah. Gary. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, one love fifty. We're almost we got the last two. Uh, did either of you see Chow Young Schmutz version of? Downtone sung to the tune of Petula Clark's Downtone. She came on Liz Ferris. I did not see that. I'm sorry. I'll have to look at that. Um, Jefferson Hawkins, a reporter once asked me if Hubbard was a madman or a genius. I said yes. Um, Thank you, Jeff. I think that is going to up. Japan. Oh my goodness. There are just two more showed up here. Japan of Green Gables. Question, Mitch, were you able to still feel creatively fulfilled making Scientology films with David Miscavige breathing down your neck or was it just for the paycheck and being ethical? Huh? You know, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think you have to read Mitch's book to get uh, that full answer answer to that question. Yes. All through all of those things. (laughs) Uh, No, I did have, yeah, I had a, yeah, I had a, 
moments of real creative control and I had moments where I had to redo things, not because there was anything wrong with them, but David Miscavige wanted them different. It's very frustrating. It's just like, yeah. There was a lot of frustrating things like that. We even had like things that were ridiculous, like if the exposure was a half a stop up or a half a stop, and the whole thing would have to be redone. And it's oh, like, yeah, you well, could- Hubbard, Hubbard had said a perfect exposure is within a 16th of a stop. You cannot humanly see a 16th of a stop. It is beyond yeah. the scope of the human eye's ability to see contrast. But but there was also a big, there was a big anti, every, there was no post lip syncing that was that was like no. basically forbidden to right. to post record uh, dialogue yeah, or voiceovers, time, but, but in, at mean, the Golden Era Productions, we had a PLS studio, post lipstick studio, where you you play a piece of video or film on a loop, and then the the actor says the line over and over and over again, and one of those is going to sync up with the original film that was shot. Yeah, I mean sometimes you have to do it because you're shooting a, a, a conversation at the end of a of a, of a runway with jets going over. Yeah. Still, they would just. But that post lip sync studio at Golden Era, it I don't ever remember it getting used more more than like four or five no, times, that was and like, that was in the early nineties. It yeah, no, never that, got used by that. That was like you you know only a degraded being would want to do something like post lip sync. It's just yeah, crazy. But the same um, the same sort of um, policies were also applied not only to the audio production, but also to film production. So fix it in post was like a bad word. If you oh, yeah. said, oh, they, they can fix that in editing or they can fix that in visual effects. Or they, it was, it was, if somebody heard you say that, you, you would get in trouble. Yeah, but <laughs> you would we never your, say that. We replace your face after you left, Mark. So I know. They fixed it in post. That's how they got rid of all the SPs. They fixed it in post. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Okay. No more, no more super chats. No more questions. We're trying to wrap it up. Um, one Love 5100. Question for you both. Did you believe in these movies when you were making them? Were your minds blown? No. My mind was never blown. Yeah. But, but we, we were doing this because we believed it was what we should be doing. What, yeah, I mean, plus your mind would only be blown if it was like a, a moment of discovery, like a moment of first encountering the material. We were so – we knew this stuff. We'd done courses. We'd read. Yeah. We'd do whatever. So we knew this stuff. It was really a matter of, 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 of uh, complying with the script and figuring out a yeah. really artistic way to execute we'll, the script. We're going to go to – did we, we didn't do TR1, did we? TR1 is uh, white is uh, white TRs, right? No, no, that's no, TR5. TR1 no, is TRs in life. In life, right. Uh, no, I don't think we did. The great black and white masterpiece. Yeah, so we have to talk about that one. But that yeah. film, we had – it was the biggest nightmare that we ever did. But it was also a ton of fun because we shot it in black and white. Yeah, and it was a real black and white film. I always wanted to make one, and we yeah, actually, we shot it on black and white stock. We did a whole. Yeah. We used. Did we use Kodak Vision stock, a black and white um, version of uh, that? Or? No, it's actually not Kodak. I don't think it's Kodak Vision, but it's it's the whatever the the Kodak stock that's the same as um, like a Triax. Yes, I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna research this one a little bit. But one of the next ones, hopefully, one of the next um, episodes we'll do, we'll do on that film. But that film, 
um, even though it was a complete nightmare. Well, and it, it ended in the a, ultimate fiasco of fiasco. Yeah, it was only the end was a nightmare. I mean, when I, I pitched well, this idea of shooting being, during shooting locations at night and setting up for locations the next day during yeah, the day that, that, was a bit of a nightmare for yeah. the crew. <laughs> anyway, we will get to that one. Yeah, um, but then here's our last one. Oh, it's a, it's a super chat from Maria de Jesus Gutierrez. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for the super chat. You're very generous. Um, thank you for everybody who tuned in. I hope you guys had a fun, uh, fun episode with us yeah. here tonight. Um, we are going to do, we're going to try and do these at least once a week. I'm also doing spy files and, um, Claire's, uh, starting to do Scientology stories and where is Shelly, um, videos. So, um, we'll try to get, uh, these back up to a, uh, a regular occurrence now that everyone's back from holidays and vacations and yeah. traveling and yeah. all that good stuff yeah. and work. I was working for almost all of December. So I was wow. very, very, uh, scarce in the video department or podcasts. Um, here, let me put up a few last things before we get out of here today. Um, I put up uh, Mitch's links earlier, and these are all in the, in the description in the video. But you can get uh, Zenu as my homeboy merch and all other kinds of amazing uh, Blown for Good merch. You can get that in the Blown for Good, Blown for Good store. Um, you can also get copies of my book, Blown for Good, there. Um, that's, uh, also at the blown for goods, uh, .com. And also, um, we're going to do a, a we're going to cover this in a live probably in the next week or so, but the blown for good podcast, um, is slaying it and we are getting a ton of downloads. So if you're a podcast person, uh, download the blown for good podcast. Uh, there's a b- bunch of good stuff in there and, uh, leave us a review. And then, um, as always, Fake Davy dolls, bobbleheads, and SP bracelets can be gotten at the spshop.com. And that goes to uh, supporting all proceeds from the spshop.com. Go to supporting the Aftermath Foundation, uh, which helps people that are uh, recovering Scientologists, ex-Scientologists, or people that are trying to escape from Scientology or the C organization. Um, did I forget anything, Mitch? No, I think you got it. I think that's great. And... Uh... Yeah, just remember, folks, keep keep sending those messages to Mark and bugging him to do this because sometimes he takes a little prodding. <laughs> We've been doing it. We we did one yeah. last week. We did yeah. one this week. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a couple of weeks. No, but there's no, there's no <laughs> Oh, that's shade true, there. yeah. I'm not throwing shade. I'm just telling you how much I love doing this, and I really I do too, it. Mitch. I have fun with these. And also, I really um, – a lot of people ask me why we do these. These videos don't get as many views on my channel as other videos that I do. Right. Even right. though they're Scientology-related and there's right. lots of stories and stuff we tell. But I have been trying to document all of the things that took place at the International Scientology uh, headquarters. Um, I'm just trying to document them. So there's a record that these things happened and these right. people did these right. certain things at certain times. Right. So for me, I don't really mind if we, Mitch and I talk for an hour and a half because that we just documented all the different stories about yes, this one film. And then we also yeah. told some other dumb stories that really nobody cares about in the co- overall context of things about some stupid recording place where they have 12 microphones. That, that's where they recorded L. Ron Hubbard doing these old right. fuddy-duddy lectures. Like, But it's still funny, and it did happen, so we yeah. might as well talk about it. I think it makes it realer, and it's also our oral history. Yes, totally. I was did I did an interview with this guy named Patrick Bet David on his uh-huh. channel. He has a he's like a he's got a, a YouTube channel called Valuetainment, and I think he has a podcast. And he said um, that you just if you just document this stuff, 
And if people are interested, it'll resonate with them and they'll watch it. And if they don't, you've documented it. So that's sort right. of my right. my take on this. And I do find it uh, fun to uh, rel- relive and retell some of these stories with Mitch. Sure was. And um, and I am trying to get some of these actors on here, but the ones that yeah. the ones that are, aren't in Scientology now are very successful, and it's yeah. hard to get them to do yeah. a YouTube channel yeah, uh, podcast. I wonder, what, I wonder what Larry's up to. <laughs> Oh, that's Anderson. a great idea. We could talk. I don't know if Larry, because Larry, Larry Anderson is who you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh, you know, maybe we should reach out to Larry and Alan. Maybe Alan would be willing yeah, to do I, one. I, I, Alan, we had, uh, I've been intending to get together with him. He, we had a back and forth email like in December. Yeah, Alan Barton is who we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's the one who took over the acting school. The Beverly he, Hills and he Playhouse. wrote a book about Milton Kinsella's, and it covers his Scientology experience. And and he did a play about Scientology and, yeah, and uh, about disconnection, disconnection and, which yeah, is, was amazing. So he, he's a really bright guy. He's a concert pianist and speaks fluent Russian. I don't know why the heck he wasn't working for the CIA. I mean, what a great I know cover. he would have been so, the best Hollywood double agent guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, he's a, the only. Yeah, he's a great guy. I, I, I always really enjoyed working with Alan. He was. So we'll try, guys. We'll I'll I'll reach out um, to some of these guys, and um, maybe Mitch can reach out to some of these guys. And if we can get them on here, then uh, we can get them talking yeah, about maybe Alan. the films. I'll send Alan a, a note. I'll, yeah, the orientation one. I mean, that would be the most amazing one to park, do with Larry. Yeah. Even we, though I mean, we redid that film without a spokesperson, and but the one Larry did is so famous because it has those. Somebody asked me the other day. Did Hubbard script those lines? Like, yeah. who, who was resp- like, oh yeah, like that whole he thought he thought that whole thing about you know you could you could walk out of here today and never mention Scientology again. You can do that, but it would be stupid. You can also blow out your brains or jump out a bridge. But yeah, if you choose to stay with Scientology, we will be very happy with you, and you will be happy with you because you will have. You will have been a friend of yours. I mean, it's yeah. That is the exact dialogue. Yeah, Mitch like, re- literally just read that. the entire dialogue of the end of the film ver- yeah, verbatim. Yeah, it's really, it's really pathetic. But and we heard that and we went, "Damn right!" God, yeah, da- you stay in Scientology, you might as well blow your brains out. People you know, cheered when that movie was shown at a Scientology event. They yeah, lost they their like, minds yeah, when he said yeah. it. <laughs> anyway, we'll see if we can get some of those guys on, uh, guys. But uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, until next time. Yeah, take care. Bye, guys.